Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. secret to my easy sleeps or easily falling asleep eat a heck of a lot of rice for dinner so I just had rice with some Indian sauce and I was resting again at 8 30 and then I just kind of laid there for an hour feeling like I was kind of sleepy and I had taken my six caps of the Hardy's amino acids at 8 30 so I waited until 9 30 to take my meds and then I just went to sleep and it was easy enough. And that was the first night of taking the one-eighth dose. And the last two nights, I've been listening to a Krishnamurti audio on YouTube to fall asleep. And I used to do this every night when I was back home because I lived in a noisy neighborhood. But when I got to California, I realized it was so quiet that I just wanted to listen to the sound of silence as I fell asleep. And sometimes it's noisy with people noise around where I stay, so I usually wear earplugs. But lately, since I that first night when I was sleepy, I was actually listening to a Krishnamurti talk on YouTube. So I wasn't sure if it was the rice or the Krishnamurti talk, but last night I did both. And interestingly enough, I woke up at some point because I thought I heard a knock at my door and I just heard like one knock, like knock, but maybe a couple other faint knocks, but the one knock woke me up and it was sort of similar to how that scary heart energy wakes me up, but I didn't feel afraid, but I woke up and as soon as I woke up, then I could hear the Krishnamurti talk that I was listening to. And right at that moment, he was talking about telepathy and being able to read people's thoughts and how when the body becomes extremely sensitive, we can get connected to those types of powers and psychic powers and things like that. But he is one to also say that it's important not to get caught up in those things because it's kind of like playing with a children's toy. You can just get stuck in that and there's something that could be even beyond all that like by focusing on one thing if I could all of a sudden read people's thoughts and then I decided to devote my whole life to that I wouldn't be accessing the richness which might include reading people's thoughts every now and then and then a whole dynamic thing of other aspects the rest of the time and I don't know if that's what he's saying exactly because who can really say what he's saying exactly? Because Krishnamurti is Krishnamurti. But it was interesting that there was a knock sound, and I don't know if it was from the Krishnamurti audio, or if it was just this sound, almost like a so-called hallucination, to wake me up at that moment so I could hear that. Because I like those bits that he talks about, because it's referring to 
high sensitivity and how we can have access to powers. And if Krishnamurti is saying that, then it must be true. But anyway, I think there's some kind of equivalent process that happens in map consciousness. We get sensitive and we don't know how to be with that so we can get caught up in some of these powers and that can actually mess it up because there's it's one thing to get caught up in the powers and, and use them for the rest of our life but most of us get caught up in the powers and actually that is the demise of the whole thing so it could be important to understand that moving through this is to not form any beliefs around the uses of these powers and just drop them like any thought or belief that comes along the way or any experience, not clinging to them. So I didn't listen to all he was saying about that, but it's in a talk on YouTube called Jidu Krishnamurti, What is Meditation? And in brackets, truth and actuality. And it's on I Vinay's channel and it's at about I was started about 55 minutes, but it sounded like it was about 59 minutes and 30 seconds in. And he also talks about these powers in the series of talks he had with Alan W. Anderson. He had a series of about 18 talks, and in the last talk, which is something called Meditation Part 2, he talks about being in connection with these powers and then sort of leaving them alone. Because the thing too is, if we leave them alone, then those powers will arise when we need them. Not by any act of will, but if we try to cultivate the powers, then we're actually putting some element of will and desire and ego structure into it, and that's where it gets messy. And that's where it gets messy in so-called mania too. So even when I say harvest, practice, and body, that could be dicey because we could be practicing traits that we want. And so it's still important to be in contact with the whole rich spectrum of the moment. Sort of doing a bunch of cross-training of the powers, but not willing them in any certain direction. Just, just being able to refine to some extent the channels through which all this energy can go through us, not trying to augment any particular channel, but definitely negating all the channels that are the ego. And by doing the negation of the ego channels, that will naturally just channel energy into these other channels that are trying to develop. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's okay. But I just found it interesting that some element woke me up to hear that because I was having a conversation with someone yesterday and I was telling them about how in that in-between space between falling asleep and being awake when trying to fall asleep, that's when some weird stuff happens. And they told me about an experience where they were laying in bed, opened their eyes and a door opened and they saw something walk in the room and then go behind and a sensation on their head. And then after that, they opened their eyes and saw the door open. So it's to me sounded like dreaming within a dream or something. And I've had an experience like that where I was dreaming that something was grabbing me from behind. And then I woke up and I jumped out of my bed and I ran downstairs and, and got in my mom's bed. And this was like, I don't know, 
10 years ago or something. And then after that, I fully felt like that happened. And then I woke up and I was in my bed laying on my back like this. So it was like waking up within a dream, kind of like Inception or something. I don't know. But I just thought it was interesting because the way they described it, it was something about how the brain can create a hallucination to to wake us up or something. So it'll create a door knocking so then we wake up. Not that anyone was at the door, but that for some reason we're supposed to wake up. And then the same night that happened where there was this knock sound, I woke up and it was the exact part of the Krishnamurti talk that I needed to hear to sort of bookmark that in my investigation. And that's actually been happening a lot lately where something will happen and then something will happen related to that. It's sort of a synchronicity, but not. It's more of this confirmation of synchronicity rather than an actual synchronicity. Like talking about the marching band analogy and then going to the park and there's a band playing. It wasn't a marching band, but it was a band ensemble of trumpets and trombones and all that. And those sort of things have happened probably like 10 times in the last week or maybe two. So it's almost the beginning of synchronicity, possibly. And I definitely tossed and turned throughout the night and I slept very lightly. I woke up too warm because the heater was on in my room and then I took off my pajamas and then I went back to, it took me a while to fall back asleep. My legs kind of hurt probably from rollerblading and hiking. And then I was dreaming and then I was kicking around and my blankets were pretty much off the bed. And usually I wake up in the morning and I just sort of fold the blanket over and get out of bed. Like I haven't moved the whole night. So these last couple nights I've definitely been more restless. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It could be I'm just not so drugged and laying there drugged sleeping because of that so I'm sure there's an adjustment period there and I still feel rested I feel a little bit tired but rested for sure and the other thing that happened yesterday is I was editing my two videos and I was saying in the video oh I'm kind of glad that I'm not really extrapolating much from this I have these two little pages left and when I was editing the last two videos, I took a bunch of notes and wrote them in my phone quite a bit, probably a video or two worth of notes. So it seems like whenever I say something like, oh, I slept so good, this is it. The next night I don't sleep good or, oh, I'm glad I'm not extrapolating these videos when I'm editing. And then, boom, there's a bunch of extrapolation. And I'm feeling more clear and that could also be a little scary because that's sometimes when it seems like I hit the ceiling of of moving with that wave of consciousness and that wave of perception and then it retreats and retracts back to something like two steps forward and one step back and the one step back feels intense so I'm going to be a little bit cautious these next few days 
I'll probably talk about those extrapolations later. I even kind of wanted to talk about them yesterday because they were more fresh. So we'll see what happens. Maybe these extrapolations will continue. I have till June 20th for the one-year process, so that's okay. I have about 20 days until then and 20 videos until I'm at 300 videos. Not that that matters, but 300 videos in one year and then continuing until September 11th for the real year in terms of how often I was doing it. And, and yeah. So I will talk to myself a little bit more later about those extrapolations. It seems I'm kind of tired today and I feel really full. Maybe from eating all that rice and then this morning I had the usual muesli, a big bowl of that. So I'll probably have a small lunch and then maybe just have juice for dinner. I'm feeling like I need to not eat quite so much. So onto the stuff I extrapolated from yesterday's video. I talked about how it seems like we go back to that time before we were really programmed. When we were learning in this dynamic way that seems to be reactivated in so-called bipolar. So it's almost like we go back to being seven years old. But the part that I thought of after watching my video was that since we learn so fast in that state, we can catch up fast. So we go back to seven-year-old kind of reality testing and trying to test out new rules and test the rules because in that space there are no, no rules. So the rules are kind of made up moment to moment sometimes. But we can catch up fast because it's a hyper-learning state. We learn so fast as children and then we go to school and and learn from books and things and that way of learning gets turned off and it actually slows down how we learn. And I remember when I first went into map consciousness six years ago, around the time it first started, I started really connecting with some of the Disney songs of my childhood. Like the song that Ariel sings in The Little Mermaid about all her stuff that she has in her cave. and. I actually had the sense like the, my life story was the same as hers and I almost really strongly identified with it. And when I was thinking about how it seems like we go back to that six or seven year old state, back to the time when that enormous process of learning was sort of shut down and turned off, that would have been a time when my brain would have thought like that. I would have actually identified with Ariel and maybe felt like I was her or I could be her or something like that. So I just thought that that was something that points a little bit more to how my brain did kind of go back to that childlike state. And it also sort of was thinking about the lessons in those movies like The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, the Lion King, those were the three that sort of went through my mind. And as time went on, I started to listen to music of my early teens, and I couldn't really listen to the music that I listen to now, which is usually upbeat, electronic-type music. It seemed way too fast. 
and I wrote down that world unfolds when we are in that heart space, the art of perception and action. So can I design this as a lifestyle? Can I experiment with this when I go home and just live in perception action without delay and go from this pseudo-synchronicity that's happening now to synchronicity, which is kind of a personal subjective phenomena, to synergy, which requires synchronizing with other beings. And kids seem to have their own intelligence, which they co-create with the moment. That intelligence directs their learning, and they don't learn just from reading books about something. And I wanted to finish a point about the whole idea that the ego is a hallucination or a delusion. So feeding energy into this creates what we feel are outside the range of the me, which we call actual hallucinations. But I think the whole process is a hallucination. And I wrote down a few things that were kind of more in the airy fairy range, which feels less like an extrapolation and more like a statement, like a direct download from something else, like channeling something. And an example of that is I wrote, there is no person separate from the process. When you see that, you are everything. So that's not really an extrapolation. It's kind of like, where did that come from? It sort of arose through me, just like the other things, but it has a little bit of a different tone, kind of like, like a teacher or something. So maybe a teacher can arise through a being. Instead of reading it in a book, you can just channel it. And I don't know, but I'll read those things anyway. But sometimes when I start writing those things, that's when I'm reaching those upper limits. And a lot of my old notebooks from two years ago before I had my first reoccurrence of map consciousness after I tried to taper off meds then, they were more like statements, like direct insights. And can human beings get with the creation of that totally different dimension or category in the mind, in the brain, like Krishnamurti talks about? Can we get out of the way and support that dimension and category to come into being? And I thought of another way to think of momentum when I was saying it's moment om. And it could stay moment um, but be moment um, meaning pause in the moment, say um, wonder, and say I don't know. So can we go from memory to moment, um, pausing in the moment and allowing something to arise in the space of not knowing versus immediately meeting each moment with memory and giving continuance to that. And then I get a little bit into that insight where it's sort of a statement. You'll start being surprised at what you do. I don't know unlocks all directions, all possibilities. Be artful in the unknown. Allow the unknown of you to unfold. You'll watch your life unfold. Watch your show instead of thinking you are the subtitles. Maybe this is why we feel like we're on TV when we connect with that state.
It's the best language we have to describe the felt sense of that witnessing state. So what I was thinking with that was how when we're in memory and meeting life with memory all the time, we live in the commentary. We live in the subtitles, which often have nothing to do with what's actually happening in the moment. So it's actually worse than living in the subtitles. It's like living in the subtitles of a different movie than you're actually watching. So when we really connect with map consciousness, it could be one of the reasons why we feel like we're on TV or somebody's watching us and we're in a movie or our life is a movie. And I've heard it called the Truman Show delusion, how after the Truman Show came out, more people showed up in the psych ward feeling like they were on the Truman Show or feeling like their life was like the Truman Show. And so they're saying that the context of what is out there in society sometimes contributes to the types of delusions people have. And I don't know if that's exactly true. To me, in thinking about it right now, it could be more so that in watching that movie, if one connects with map consciousness, that movie has given a person the language or context to put words to the felt sense of what that feels like. So by watching that movie and then say somebody goes into map consciousness later in life, they might feel like they're on the Truman Show because they watched the Truman Show, but it's not because they watched the Truman Show, it's because the Truman Show gave them that language to kind of describe the sense that they could understand the character in the show must have been feeling. And I've talked about this a few times in different ways, how we don't know how to give voice to some of these felt sensations, but since our brain operates on translating everything into words and thought, and, and according to the past, it will reach into that bank to try to translate and make sense of why this shift in orientation feels like this. So even with me creating all this context for myself, I had a so-called crisis in January, but part of me talking to myself all this time was a factor in me being able to avoid the psych ward. And I would talk to myself and I've been talking to myself and then I watch the video to edit it. So in that way, I'm kind of watching my own movie. And in watching my own movie, when I have a strange felt sense of something that comes up that is not part of the regular consciousness I try to maintain for functionality's sake, then my brain might actually look into my own movie that I've created for myself with all this context to help to give words to the felt sense of that. So what I'm saying is it's not necessarily that the Truman Show caused people to have Truman Show delusions, it's that movies in Hollywood are really good at creating a lot of different stories around these strange phenomenon that actually do happen to people. And then Oftentimes we actually just see it in a movie and it could be because people who created these movies or helped to write the scripts might have had these types of sensations and then created a movie around it.
but it's actually a lot of these different movies, a lot of these different psychological thrillers or psychological drama type movies have elements that people actually experience. So I think the elements that people experience actually happen before and have always been happening. And then someone happens to make a movie about it. And then people happen to go to the psych ward saying they feel like this movie character because it's the best way to kind of describe that sensation. And there could be infinite sensations of these different types that are hard to put into words that there could be a thousand movies about. And if somebody is having to see some of those, if they happen to have a sensation similar, they might say, oh, you know The Matrix? It's It kind of feels like that. Or you know The Truman Show? It kind of feels like that. Or you know Donnie Darko? It kind of feels like that. Or you know I Origins? It kind of feels like that. And there's so many of those movies, and I watch those movies, and I can see things that I have t touched on experiencing in the movies, and so it doesn't actually feel like a fake movie. Actually, before I went into that mini-crisis in January, I was watching that show, Original Angel, the OA, and that crap is real, man. It is messed, and I only watched half the first season, and... My brain was already going into those expanded states because it's been there. So to watch things that that tease my brain into those states, that show actually played into some of what I experienced in those states. So, so it is kind of a reciprocal thing. I think watching those things can can invite some of that. If there's an out there experience, it invites the brain to lean towards translating it or creating that experience in the direction of the recently watched psychological type movie. So me personally, I have to be careful what I watch because even watching the arrival the other day, my brain has seen certain things about non-linearity and non-locality and things in my past experiences and is almost translating it in terms of that. Just certain bits, not all the bits, but the bits that were like that movie start to arise in consciousness. And since there's a movie that is an hour and a half and it points to all these different phenomena, the brain starts trying to make sense of some of past experiences that it hasn't yet made sense of with the help of that movie. So this can be good and it can also be a little bit scary or fascinating. It's fascinating, but it gets scary when the brain starts moving too quickly. And one thing I'm gonna ask Hardy Nutritionals is how long these drug residues stay in my body and how long does it take for them to leave? And do things like infrared saunas help to move the drug residues out of the body? And and I'm also thinking of doing a ketogenic diet for a month. And that can cause weight loss. And weight loss is fat. And when the fat leaves the body or, or melts away, that could actually release a bunch of the toxins. And that was one of the other interesting pseudo-synchronicities when I was mentioning that earlier was I was thinking, oh, I want to ask Cardi Nutritionals about ketogenic diet and saunas and, and whether 
I'm in danger of, if I do some detox, experiencing some more drug withdrawal because it's still in my system. And maybe it's not good to do a ketogenic diet yet because of that. And so I wrote that in my calendar so I'd remember to ask them because that is how I remember stuff. And that's the only way I can remember stuff if it's sort of a scheduled thing. Otherwise it seems to arise naturally when need be. But anyway, I'm reading Dr. McCullough's book, Fat for Fuel, and I'd left off at a certain spot. I just read it on my Kindle app on my phone whenever I have a few minutes. And the next page I turned to, it said on there, be careful on a ketogenic diet because the rapid weight loss, if you just go right into the ketogenic diet cold turkey, all these toxins and and things can be released into the body because they're stored in the fat cells. So that was another one of those pseudo-synchronicities. And it seems to be like the brain asks a question and then the answer arrives in something that somebody was just naturally participating with anyway. And it's just really interesting how it seems to be right where I left off in that book and then I turn the page and there it is. I'm still going to ask cardio nutritionals, but these are the pseudo-synchronicities that there have been too many of them to attribute to chance. And the thing is when the brain gets more clear, the universe is able to respond in more clear ways more quickly. So it becomes something that is really expected almost. They're surprising, but not surprising at the same time. Because it's like the universe is on our side and helping us out to find the answers in the context of life. And that's why I feel like, too, it's difficult to watch too many movies or TV or news or read books by other people because it can cause my brain to just go into hyper-extrapolation and see the beyond of everything everybody's saying. And and that's another benefit of self-dialogue is it's a way to still engage in learning without having to read other people's things and have the brain go kind of wild. It's like the brain is in such a creative state that other people and their hard work and what they're doing cause the brain to go even further beyond than if it was not to do that. Now, if everybody was just communicating in this way and learning from themselves and from each other in daily life, then maybe this wouldn't necessarily be a, a problem. And a lot of people talk about too much information. It's sort of the age of way too much information. Well, for people like me with bipolar, even just a small amount of information can be too much information because each bit of information contains a lot of different possible extrapolations that the brain can choose to unfold. And so one has to kind of protect oneself from that. So Jason Silva mentions bandwidth anxiety in some of his videos. Well, I feel like I have bandwidth anxiety in a different way. It's if I read stuff, I will create too much bandwidth of my own. 
So it's actually the opposite. It's staying away from the bandwidth, knowing that my brain can't really, it's not that it can't process it, it'll go beyond, it'll create from that priming. And Steve Pavlina talks about priming. Well, I feel like being primed from my own dialogue is enough. And that means maybe it's not the most well thought out thing in the world. But it's just this flowering that there's no one there to control it. So one has to have other mechanisms of keeping it in check. When we learn the whole, but really this is when we learn when it's like a flowering, not a linear process from books and adding to memory. And related to what I was saying about the Truman Show thing is that if I share this and anyone watches a certain length of it who has experiences of these types of consciousness, it might help to create some language and understanding around some of it so that we don't necessarily have to rely on movies to to help us create some language through which we can describe to people how this sensation feels. So now it generally feels like something out of a movie, whether it's a Truman Show movie or a Matrix movie or something. But when we have enough language to, to talk about it and we speak that language and we're able to speak the language of those sensations and orientations and perceptions and and perspectives and and states of energy and consciousness then we don't have to say oh this feels like the Truman Show we might actually be able to unfold what it is like and that's sort of what I've been doing by talking to myself is is creating that language and thinking of it in a lot of different ways so if I go into map consciousness, I don't have to just feel like, oh my gosh, this is the Truman Show. Or the last time, it was a lot of scary alien stuff and I didn't have to think, oh, this is like that alien movie where somebody had their brains zapped or whatever. I could just hold it within all the context I've created by hearing myself say all of this and saying it from the moment and, and from my own perceptions and understandings. Creating this understanding for myself not having the brain go back to rely on understandings that we got from the entertainment industry. Like how much of our life do we have to get from the entertainment industry? And even when we say it feels like this or it's like that, that's still not it. That's still not the essence of the sensation. It's just a way of telling other people or telling ourselves how that feels. But if we hold on to that, if we feel like this is the Truman Show or my state feels like the Truman Show, and then we believe that, then we're actually limiting the unfolding of the richness. So if we're able to let go of that, that story related to that sensation might actually drop. And then we might go on to the next movie, or we might just go on to something completely different that we have no words for. And that's part of this self-dialogue is just keep talking to create words for things that aren't things, that are states, that just one second of that sensation or that 
felt sense or that state of being might create thousands of words, which still wouldn't do justice to that state of being. So as Krishnamurti would say, the word is not the thing. Or as Korzybski would say, the map is not the territory. So even mapping out map consciousness is not map consciousness. And there is no real map for map consciousness. When I was at the park yesterday, I heard somebody walking by talking about something about how their singing coach was retiring. And when I'm in that very clear state, I get extrapolations even from just being in the moment and whatever is happening in terms of interactions around me. And I was thinking about how singing or voice teachers teach us to create beautiful sound with our voice. So I don't have any training. So I sing in a certain way. But if I was to have a singing coach or a voice coach, singing teacher, I'm sure after a year or two or so, I would probably be able to sing quite well. I'm just guessing. And right now, I can't really even imagine that's possible. It's almost like, what could they really teach me? I have a voice, I speak, what else do I need? And I can imagine they would teach us to stop doing things that constrict the sound. So if we want to sing a high note, we have to sing in a certain way. If we want to sing a low note, we have to sing in a certain way and use different muscles and stop using certain muscles and breathe a certain way to create that beautiful sound. So we can create sound, but to be able to to sing, we have to perhaps stop constricting the sound in certain ways. And I think what map consciousness shows us is that our ego, our me, our self-structure constricts our whole organism and it constricts the universe from flowing through us. Just like we don't really allow the breath to move through us and and contract our muscles in the right way to sing most effectively and beautifully. So in the same way, our ego structure is constricting our whole being from being able to do that. So map consciousness is trying to correct this. It's sort of showing our unconstricted self. And if we were able to all of a sudden have an unconstricted voice and sing beautifully, we would still need to know songs and music to actually make it into something meaningful. And so when we first get unconstricted through map consciousness, it's like having access to our most beautiful self and our best self without having any music to go along with. And not that we need a pattern or anything, but it's like being able to create beautiful song. It's like being able to create beautiful sound, but not knowing how to play the tune of the ever-changing moment. So at least with musicians, they can look at a piece of sheet music and they can just play it. Well, the sheet music of the universe is always changing. So we have to be able to really improvise with that. And when we're first unrestricted, we might just think, oh, I'm going to do this and this and this and this. 
and, and kind of have fun. But then we realize that just because we become unrestricted doesn't mean that we can just create our own music. We still have to create in alignment with the universe because the universe is that which unrestricted us. So it's freedom, but at the same time, we still, there's still certain laws of the universe, I guess. And I think when we first get in contact with that freedom, we're still partly influenced by the laws of the ego and those structures, even though we're freed from them. It's like we're playing an old song from an old tour of our band and we didn't realize that we created a new album and it's time to start playing that. And I'm pretty sure when I watch myself saying this, I'll feel like I missed a few clarifications and that's sometimes what happens. I have a few minutes to make a video before I'm going out for a little bit but I wanted to continue. I was thinking about the movie thing I was talking about in terms of the Truman Show delusion. And right now it sort of shows up as people experiencing a certain sense of experiencing reality and then say going to the psych ward and then explaining to a doctor, I feel like I'm being recorded or I'm on TV or something and then they say well this is the Truman Show delusion but I feel like one day when we have enough vocabulary and enough sense of this changing flux of being human and not feeling so linear in terms of how the ego structure keeps us feeling within a very narrow band of reality all the time we won't really need to explain the state. We won't need to explain it to ourselves or to other people. We'll just live it. We'll live it as this changing and fluxing being that we are. Not thinking that we're this ego. And then if anything goes outside of that, we have to sort of explain it in terms of something that people can understand. And I don't even think we're doing it that way. We're just saying how it feels and then people are saying well it sounds like you think you're on TV or you're in the Truman Show or something I don't think I explained that very well but it's just the difference between explaining to oneself that it feels like the Truman Show or something similar and then attaching to that which might actually cause it to continue instead of moving on to the next aspect of richness which could be something totally different and I was thinking about how our actual life could be like the entertainment industry, meaning it could be as good as how we imagine it is to watch those shows. So when we watch a show, we're very entertained. Well, imagine if we were that entertained, that feeling of how we feel when we're watching our favorite show. If that's how we felt all the time, but by actually living our life, by the fact of living our life, not having to sit down and watch a show to have that feeling. And it seems like our lives have been made mediocre through education and the way we're raised, so then we can be sold entertainment. And when we go into map consciousness, we feel like it's infinitely entertaining. And so it makes sense that sometimes we associate that with some aspects of the entertainment industry because 
how we feel is something that we feel when we're just really enjoying something. And we usually equate that to a, some form of entertainment because that's where a lot of our joy comes from is being entertained. But map consciousness connects us with that joy of living where we don't need entertainment and it's infinitely entertaining without feeling entertaining. It's just very joyful. And it's no wonder we feel like celebrities in that state because it just feels so rich and and we maybe imagine that that's how celebrities must feel when they are rich and they can experience a lot of different things because of their wealth and and their experience and their fame. But when we're in map consciousness, even though we might not be having a celebrity experience, it probably feels just as good, if not better. So we kind of equate it with that, even though it's not that. So that means we don't need to be celebrities to feel like that, but we can be a celebrity in our own life in that we can feel that good and joyful and rich. And our vitality has been taken, we've been sold these mediocre lives so we can be sold all this entertainment. And I've talked a few times about dropping experiences and insights and different things that happen and not forming them as a belief. And I was seeing how our thought structure clings onto things and, and puts them in memory and stores them as knowledge or stores them as belief, which is kind of the same thing. And I was thinking about how insight itself doesn't cling or form beliefs. So our, our usual way of the mind working forms beliefs. But for example, if I was to form a belief around some of my initial thoughts to myself about whatever in this dialogue, I would have never kept going into continuing to have different insights. It's sort of like when I was told that I had a mental illness six years ago. If I would have believed that and, and held that I would have never considered thinking anything beyond that. So by forming it as a belief, I can't even see anything beyond it or think anything beyond it or wonder about anything beyond it or if there's something beyond it, I'm going to think about it in terms of mental illness. So if somebody has a so-called Truman Show delusion and ends up in the hospital, they go from thinking, oh, I'm on the Truman Show or I have people recording me or something to after being diagnosed, any experience, whether it's Truman Show-like or Matrix-like or any of the infinite different altered states of consciousness outside the normal state, one will just think, oh, it's my mental illness, oh, it's my mental illness, oh, it's my mental illness, and that blocks any inquiry. So that belief in mental illness blocks any learning outside of that. So it's very limited. So the process of insight doesn't cling at all. So even thinking about dropping beliefs is something that one goes beyond when in the state of insight because there's no need to drop anything if nothing is is clung onto. And I don't even know if clung is a word. Is it clinged or is it clung? I don't know. I don't even know how to use 
was or were sometimes, and I know a lot of times I say is instead of are. I notice that a bit, but at the same time, I don't really know which one's right, and whatever. So once one's brain goes into the state of insight, then no beliefs form, so there's nothing to drop. And the important thing in that is then the brain is always clearer to keep seeing, not seeing in terms of what it saw. But unfortunately, that's what we think is learning, this accumulation process. When we don't understand that when the brain doesn't have the accumulation, there's something else that processes through the brain that's more powerful than a bunch of words and images that we've accumulated. Something else processes and presents possibilities in the brain versus having memory come in, which is very limited. And another thing in terms of the special powers, I wrote down the powers don't need the ego or will, so don't bring that in. So when those powers come in, those powers don't need the ego, and the ego actually warps them in ways that turns them against us. It makes the power turn against the ego, and then it, it blows up the ego, which is good in ways, but not so good in ways, because it's very chaotic. So to think that those powers need the ego is a little bit silly. The last video I was making got cut short, and that's because my phone ran out of memory. And that's never happened where I notice that I'm talking and the video's not recording, and I'm thinking, I don't remember stopping it. Because usually I just do it in one long clip and then edit it. Sometimes I make shorter clips. So then I went back to the video and I looked at what I was talking about at the end, and sure enough, I had extrapolated three more points, but it wasn't on the video. So I looked and my phone had indeed run out of memory. So note to anyone who ever wants to do a self-dialogue, you need a lot of memory. I have an iPhone 6S Plus and it has 128 gigabytes, which was the biggest size at the time. The 7 comes with 256. And I have a 7 in my possession, I'm keeping it safe for somebody, and I just did a test clip. And the sound quality is actually a lot better because I think the phone has a better microphone and a better speaker too. So it might have been smart of me to actually upgrade my phone to the 7 right away. But I couldn't have predicted that I was going to do this many videos. So... Getting the phone you want with the most capacity is good. And then one would also need a iCloud account or some kind of uploading service because there's still way more gigabytes of video than the phone. So if each video is maybe 5 gigs and the phone is 128, it's only going to store like 20 videos. But I have about... 280. So half of them are on a hard disk at home. All of them are in the cloud. I have a terabyte of storage, which right now is $12.99 a month in my country's currency, which actually I think is $13.99 a month. And that's just a way to keep the conversation and all those hours safe.
I will be upgrading to the next iPhone when it comes out in a few months and I'm still very low on memory on my phone so I'll have to find a solution soon. I did buy some kind of little external hard drive on Indiegogo that was an extra 256 gigabytes or something but the thing with Indiegogo is that it says predicted shipping in May and you get it like the next year in July sometimes. At least I bought something two years ago and I still haven't received the product though I have got a few things on there that were really cool and I did actually get at some point which is nice but yeah it's not something to rely on for the date and also they usually put this really amazing product and then you buy it and then they skipped a ton of features because they couldn't really fit that into the budget so yeah and I had to stop having those emails because I'd see something and be like that's cool I want that so no more of that but it's still a pretty fun website to shop on and one thing I forgot to mention was I was having lunch with some friends and we we're just chatting about stuff and then one of them brought up how sometimes people have this feeling like they're in a movie or being recorded all the time and then I said that's called the Truman Show delusion and then they said yeah that's right I think I read it in the New Yorker or the New York Times or something I can't remember what they said but I was just talking to myself on a video about that before lunch and then I went to lunch and that was brought up and I was on the video before also talking about how this is happening where I'll be talking about something or thinking about something and then the next scene in my movie or soon after there's something very related and it's not really a synchronicity it's more like a pseudo one because there's nothing to really follow there it's not a sign to follow it's more just a signpost to look at and notice that there are signs but it's not necessarily one to follow and then I was sitting there having that sense like yeah this is what happens and it's not surprising and it could just be getting my brain ready to start following some kind of signs when there are ones to actually follow so the couple of extrapolations that I missed out on that's never happened where I've lost some of what I've said and I think I was doing a pretty good job and they're lost forever and it doesn't really matter but I will talk about them again something I wrote down that is just one of those sort of statements I wrote the ego constricts the being from moving most beautifully and effectively in the field of love Aww. And I was talking about how movies are possibilities and a brain in map consciousness or one that has that susceptibility even if it's not in that state has this dimension of seeing possibilities or operating in possibilities. So movies can actually activate that dimension even more because even though movies are fiction most of the time they're still possible, there's still possibilities. And a brain that operates in possibilities sometimes sees how those situations and scenarios could be possible, especially because they resonate with possible past experience that one has had. So it resonates with that and activates it more. 
and a brain that's operating mainly in the dimension of thought and the domain of thought is moving in the domain of probabilities. It's looking and making calculations and trying to make predictions, not seeing possibilities. It's not seeing and the field of possibilities expanding based on what one sees. It's actually narrowing down the field of what one is making salient and then narrows it down further to what's probable based on what the past associations are making salient. So it really limits the game of life. So that was just another thought on how movies relate to this state and how sometimes we explain our states based on movies or sometimes movies can actually resonate and accentuate those states or understanding of those states that we experienced in the past. And the brain is trying to make sense of possibilities so if it sees something that helps to make sense of some of the things that possibly happened in the past, it will use that information. But then sometimes it can almost reactivate those states in the process. Because the brain wants to move in possibilities. It doesn't want to live in this limited domain of these probabilities that have been programmed into us. It's like advertising. The advertising companies know the probability that somebody's going to buy something based on the advertisement. And so our past memories are like advertisements that are making certain things probable because it's changing what we see, narrowing down what we see and what we calculate. And this was the good one that I missed out on because the recording stopped. It was really good, so I don't know if I can do the same, and I wouldn't even know if I did it the same or not. So just as the ego produces hallucinations, thoughts and beliefs, because the ego is just a mirage of these circulating thoughts and beliefs, so it's a hallucination of the circulating thoughts and beliefs, the movement of the thoughts and beliefs. The state of insight or seeing produces more seeing. So the state of ego thought, which is a hallucination, produces more thoughts and beliefs and hallucinations. And the state of insight or seeing or possibilities produces more seeing or possibilities. So that's why it could be important to limit bandwidth because reading something like a short paragraph might actually create the equivalent of a thousand pages of insight and information and seeing in the brain. Whereas in the state of ego thought, if one reads a thousand pages, one might actually retain a page. And that doesn't even mean that it's necessarily understanding. It might just be memorization. Whereas in the state of seeing, reading that paragraph flowers the understanding, so more information is produced from that prompt of reading. And these aren't exact calculations, I'm just making up numbers for the sake of trying to illustrate what happens in these states, possibly. So others are trying to consume and remember and believe from this bandwidth that we have access to in terms of 
information overload. So consume as much information and store it and remember it and have it as knowledge for later. But when you can really see, you don't need to remember. Because the seeing of something extrapolates and flowers even more information because the brain is operating on a different algorithm based on seeing. So the ego, which is a hallucination and full of thoughts, can only produce more of that, whereas seeing creates more seeing. And it's not based on what you saw before. It's always starting again from zero, pretty much. So I don't think I did that as good, but that's okay. And I was thinking about how a lot of the ways that we act are kind of robotic. They're kind of computerized. We're acting based on programs. And so we're kind of like computer people. And a computer could almost simulate our life because we're pretty predictable. Whereas I don't think a computer could ever simulate or replicate mania. It's just too random and chaotic in a good way in much of it. And I think that relates to what I was talking about in an earlier video quite a while ago about how I feel like mania is our safeguard against being computerized and ubiquitized and and turned into kind of drone-like human bots, if that hasn't already happened. And I was looking at a webpage talking about some people that are studying bipolar and creativity and trying to find the links. And I was thinking about how this process is creativity itself. And then professional people come along with their categories and their education and say, that's bipolar disorder. But it could actually just be human creativity. So by saying, oh, that's bipolar disorder, is a human-created construct that we superimpose over the original flowering of whatever this is. And back to the C-frontal cortex. I feel like the prefrontal cortex could turn into the C-frontal cortex in that its volume and structure is now diverted to seeing, which is related to insight and perception action, not pseudo-seeing, thought, calculating which program according to memory to activate and then in action because it's not adequate for the actual moment it's projecting memory into the fresh new moment so when the ego is non-functional the brain can now use that area for other things just like if an area of the brain gets injured sometimes the brain will be able to use a new area of the brain for that task in order to allow the body to continue to move so if the ego structure is damaged, now the brain can actually use all of that area of the brain. Because the ego structure is just a bunch of noise and thoughts and, and sounds and energy that's kind of like damaging that area. So it's almost like the opposite of having a physical injury that the brain has to now compensate for. It's like we have this mental injury but the mental injury is actually the ego structure and all of our past hurts and memories that we've accumulated to use against the moment or make us feel comfortable or secure or whatever 
So that part is actually injuring the brain. So when this injury stops happening, the brain can actually put energy towards allowing that brain area to be utilized for what it's meant to be utilized. And the universe is trying to break up this injury, all of this ego complex, so that this energy of the universe can come in and change the function of that area of the brain. And that might sound kind of strange, but a lot of people have synesthesia where they taste sounds or, or hear smells. So the brain is very changeable and fluid, even within what we know can happen. And what happens in map consciousness is, is totally unknown. And even with what I'm talking about right now and all I've talked about, it's still very limited compared to the unknown infinity that is this beyond that we can actually connect with, that can never be put into words. Even putting it into words in any form is somewhat limiting it. And at the same time, that's kind of important because it's important to stay in the world of words somewhat because that's how the world is right now. But by having a conversation with myself the way I want to, at least I'm living in the context that I see. And by seeing, I create this context. And perhaps at some point, it gets passed on to the next generation, whether it's an alteration in the morphogenetic field, which perhaps changes the genetics and passes it on. And I had this thought that maybe that's kind of what's happening in autism in a way. There's this dimension that wants less words. And whether it's through the map conscious process, but now it seems like something has been passed on to the next generation to be perceiving in a different way and not acquiring words the same way. I feel like the could be learning perception, action first, and words later. They live in the moment. And when one gets connected with perception, action, seeing and extrapolation and insight, it's like the mimetic structure starts to create new mimetic structures. So it's a creative process and it's a building process. Whereas this is counter to the ego state that actually wants to be consistent. So it wants to have a consistent story and consistent values and consistent programs and be able to predict how the me will act. And that's a bunch of programs, so that makes it easier to predict and we want to be predictable. So the ego is against engineering memes by its very nature. And map consciousness is mimetic engineering memes. It just keeps building on itself. Not as a self, but just this process of building. Not creating a center around which any story revolves. It's like going from being the center as an ego to being the entire map with no center. So this process is giving voice to new memes that can be sorted out with love and dialogue. It's kind of like if somebody is brainstorming. The process of brainstorming is to just unfilter and just put ideas down on paper. And so 
I feel like map consciousness is the universe brainstorming and heartstorming through us to see if we can find new values by this heartstorming process, not just going back into our memory and and trying to slightly change that. It's just a completely different process altogether. So the current world is speaking in terms of the past, of a story that revolves around our center of ego. And this new world is speaking as the moment. So really, in order to speak as the moment, we need to see the moment. And it's just a different way of seeing and using language. It's a reversal process in how language is created. It's not created from the ego center, it's created from choiceless awareness. And that's a term that Krishnamurti would use. And we've learned enough language to be able to be creative with it. And being creative with it is speaking as the moment. And it's very circular in what I'm saying, but that's how it goes. And think of all the energy that's released from the brain when it's released from the burden of storing memory. And it seems like this is concurrent with technology as well, in that as computer capacity goes up and memory storage in computers, there's technically less need for us to store our memories in our brain. So all that energy that's used in the memory recall process in every moment meeting the moment with memories, which isn't really seeing because we're looking through our own projections, which is another waste of energy on top of just the mechanistic recall mechanism. So now the way we recall memories in our brain is actually kind of slower than recalling information on the computer. So to Google something is a lot faster than to read a thousand books and then hope that we know the information that we need in a certain moment and then we can recall it. So if we need something from memory, we can just Google it or search it on our computer. And then that frees up the brain, that capacity, that energy for other capacities. And look what happens when a person is somewhat released from this memory process and is really meeting the moment afresh, how creative that person is. And that's kind of what creativity is. We can't be creative when we're meeting the moment with our memories. That has nothing to do with the moment. It might have something to do with the me, but the me has nothing to do with the moment. And being in touch with the moment will give us a different momentum than the ego does. And we won't be in conflict because the ego is trying to bend things in its way according to its programs and memories, which... The universe is not going to bend to that. But if we can flow with the universe, then that is a different story altogether. And another reason why we don't need the brain to store memory is that a lot of our memory is full of our personal monologues and stories. And with the surge in technology and, and the entertainment that's available from it, our stories aren't that interesting anymore. To other people... Maybe to some extent in personal interactions, but compared to what's out there in terms of entertainment, it's not that interesting. So that's a reason why there's less people relating with each other face to face, because they'd rather look at their phones. 
So if we're not talking to each other and relating based on, oh, this is what happened to me when I was this year, and this is my story, and this is where I grew up, and everyone can just look that up on Facebook and they don't give a crap if you tell them in person, we need, again, the brain to start using that energy and capacity for some other function than telling our own little story because of the reasons I just said. So that goes with part of what the brain is doing right now is telling stories and the memory required to do that. So it's twofold that the brain doesn't need that as much anymore and it's becoming less and less and less. And if we don't start using the brain for other things or allowing other creative changes to happen in the brain, then we'll just be more glued to our phone and more addicted. And the C-frontal cortex, instead of becoming this creative die and provolog processor and algorithm creator with the moment, will just be congealed into this portion that is very capable of looking at screens. So that's another reason why this mimetic structure creating more mimetic structures needs to come in because it's beyond a story. It's talking based on the moment and insight and the richness of that. Relating must be a moment-to-moment -moment game and it must be more interesting than technology and entertainment or we're going to end up like WALL-E, the Disney movie. So by creating new memes I can use them and build on them. I can use them in conversation, I can use them in dialogue with myself, I can build on them, and so it's creating new context. So the new language is to create new context, not just to create new stories about the ego. And mania is keeping the unknown in mind, not the memories. So ditching the memories, ditching the memory recall, meeting the moment, gives all that space for the unknown and for the unknown to speak to us and be made known, at least in that moment, through us. So we need to see things for ourselves and there's understanding in that seeing, not read it in a book or hear it from another and try to memorize it. The moment calls on all the senses and it's creative. And is there a sinner Memetics, which is synergizing through creating context and new memes. And mania is like being released from the puppet show we've been raised in. The programs of society control us like marionettes, and it's just like a big puppet show. And can we go from where we are headed to where we are hearted? And can we go from progress to unfolding meaning in dialogue and that meaning gives a different forward momentum it gives a momentum of the moment mania is above the clouds and psychosis is mixing old memories and memes with new meanings of the moment we must forget everything the most valuable thing is forgetting we wouldn't take a dream to be real and form it as belief. The process of map consciousness is showing the trouble with belief and not to believe the things seen in the process. 
enclosed by the hologram marionette, the beatific vision dissolves the cage that was never there. There was a mutation at that point in space-time in the total mind. The brain could see it and thus created and unfolded that. They were that without knowing in the unknown. And memory based on association was a convenient and efficient way to store that type of memory. But now we don't really need it so much because of technology, because of evolution, exception, action is actually what we're moving towards. Extracting language from the moment instead of recalling it from the brain. Emotion triggers association. The moment, the energy of the moment, the energy momentum, creates through perception, action, extrapolation. To extrapolate is to create, is to act. It's a creative act. The brain creating itself. Association is reliving the past, relevating it into consciousness. Remaking the past relevant, which is just a shadow. The insight algorithm builds on itself. And I think I mentioned that the blessing of my bad psych ward experience was that it was so bad that the benefits of that kind of treatment no longer outweighed the risk in my mind for sure. The risk of trying to come off the meds was now way less than trying not to. By staying in that paradigm, it's more of a risk. So that was the last straw. And now I'm a few days away from being off medication. And there's a woman who actually told me about Hardy Nutritionals. I knew about the EMP product, but Hardy Nutritionals is actually possibly a little bit better because for one thing, it smells a lot better. It's a food-based supplement, so the EMP kind of smells a bit like dog food or something. And the Hardy Nutritionals smells kind of like vanilla, so they did good there. They also have their capsules as vegetarian capsules at least for the micronutrient supplement, whereas EMP is a gelatin capsule. The aminos capsule for Hardy's Nutritionals isn't vegetarian, and I am taking that, so that's not great, but I doubt the aminos come from a vegetarian source anyway. So sometimes I have to go with what my brain possibly needs and say sorry to the cute little animals that I love. And the other thing is that Hardy Nutritionals supplement has lithium orotate in it. And I was thinking about trying to switch my lithium carbonate for lithium orotate at some point. And I never managed to do that. So I have lithium orotate at home. So it's nice to have some lithium in my system because I've been on lithium for six years. And lithium orotate is actually quite safe. And lithium is a needed nutrient, just not in the high toxic doses that they prescribe in psychiatry. And lithium orotate can be given at a lot smaller doses because it's a lot more easily processed by the body in such a way that a smaller amount of it gives you more lithium. 
more lithium actually going into the body so one doesn't have to have so much toxic amount of lithium to get enough to be therapeutic into the body. And I didn't really say that very well. Dr. John Gray has a pretty good video on lithium orotate. So anyway, I think Hardy Nutritionals is a better product, at least I've had success with it so far. And a woman told me about Hardy Nutritionals who I met at, I was giving a bit of a talk about my story to a group of family members with people who they care about with labels and diagnoses. And she was there and Oddly enough, this other random thing happened where I was at a health convention and I saw one of my friends working at a chiropractic booth and she didn't see me. So I took a picture of her and she was doing some kind of test that they do in those spine checkups and I sent her the picture. And then later on when I was looking through the pictures that I took, it could have been that same day or months later or something, that woman, who is the one who told me about Hardy Nutritionals, was the person sitting in the chair in front of my friend. And I was like, whoa, that is a freaky sign because I just took this random picture of my friend and the person sitting there is this woman who I met and she was talking about EMP at the time. And so I actually spoke with her by email months ago and so she told me about the Hardy Nutritionals product and said it might be a better product to try when I do attempt to go off my medication. So big thanks to her. I will be thanking her for sure. And I think I talked a little bit about how she has a bit of a sad story around the person that she cares about who's gone through this same sort of thing of being labeled and medicated. And I don't want to share anyone else's story, but but I'm just saying that I'm grateful for her for telling me about this product because I don't know if I would have found out about it otherwise. She might be somebody to interview on this self-dialogue. If self-dialogue can turn into not just self-dialogue, but expanding to, to more people. So maybe one day if I share this, people might want to have a conversation and talk over the internet and extrapolate it together and, and share it. And start talking in the ways that we want to talk. Talking in the ways that we see not just trying to explain weirdnesses so other people can be comfortable. Because I feel like once we get this conversation and this context created together, then we won't have these weirdnesses. They won't manifest as these weirdnesses when we're able to communicate what we're trying to say. They won't have to be translated into odd behaviors or odd movements or odd gestures because I feel that happens when if we're perceiving something and seeing something we want to communicate something but we're not able to 
find the words or or the gestures to do so, then it gets scrambled and we end up yelling or or just doing strange things because the energy is not coming through properly. The message is not coming through properly. So if we can start getting in alignment with these messages, which aren't just words, they can be gestures and and values and, and they can be creative and so many things, then we actually will seem, I think, quite balanced because we're trying to balance energies that are beyond our ego self. So when that gets translated into the ego self, it's going to make the ego self unbalanced, which translates into odd behaviors and odd things to say. But when we can really allow that chaos to settle, especially in dialogue with each other, then I think that we'll actually be quite surprised. And who knows what that'll look like? I don't know, but it could be quite surprising. And years and years ago, before I was labeled, I was in that state of map consciousness and it was pretty energetic and intense. And I made a video with these little flies that joined me on the coconut that I was drinking out of. And we had like an hour conversation and it really was talking to Gaia and speaking as the flies and speaking with the flies and to the flies and, and just really being with these flies and it's kind of strange but after I took all the videos I watched them and I remember laughing my butt off I just thought it was the funniest thing I was laughing at what I was saying I thought I was really funny and then after I finished watching it I had this intense fear it was so intense and I felt like if people really understand the implications of this video, it will change the world. And I don't know if I'm ready to be responsible for that, which could sound grandiose in a way. It does. And I wasn't ready to put it out there. But what I really feel like is that that moment was kind of the seed of this dialogue. And... Maybe that feeling was more about the implications of this dialogue than just that video with the flies. But that video with the flies was exactly the same in that that was the same dimension that my brain was in. And even further beyond because I was really able to commune with those flies. And it felt like a miracle to me. But again, my brain sort of saw that as the ultimate. Like, this video is it. It's like the secret to the world. If we can just be with nature, nature will come to us. And, and it's like heaven on earth where no creatures harm each other. And we all understand each other's unique place. And we even start to take on different roles because we no longer need to consume each other for food and blah, 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 or something. But I think that video was more just an invitation for dialogue with oneself, or Gaia-log, or Gaia-vlog. That was pretty much the first episode of Gaia-vlog. And 
And so after that video, I was afraid of the implications of being able to speak in that way, being able to see in that way. It was so completely different and I was afraid of it. But now after making however many hours of conversation with myself, it doesn't feel so scary anymore to be able to talk in this way. And I don't know if it's the same or if the energy behind it is the same, but I'm not sure what I'm saying about it, but it's just interesting how intense that feeling was, yet the intensity of that feeling wasn't justified based on that small video that I just created. But maybe it could be more justified based on the hours of video I've created now. But I felt that fear then, but not necessarily now. So it's kind of like a premonition in a way. Like it wasn't that video, but I did go on to create a lot of other ones. And it could also be that just having a brain in that state, and I don't even know if my brain is in that state now or has been since, could change the world. Maybe I'll include the fly video in this playlist just for fun, but maybe not. If not, it'll just be in another playlist and it's called The Fly Whisperer. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.